You're listening to Recommended, where we talk to interesting people about their favorite books. From childhood favorites to classics to new and forthcoming reads, you'll hear how the people who make books happen have been influenced by the ones they've read. Today, author Nicole Dennis-Ben has chosen The Yellow Room by Sarah Broom, and Dr. Jen Gunter has chosen Watership Down by Richard Adams. Nicole Dennis-Ben is the author of the novels Patsy and Here Comes the Sun, which won the Lambda Literary Award, was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle John Leonard Award, the New York Public Library's Young Lions Fiction Award, and the Center for Fiction's First Novel Prize, and was long-listed for the International Dublin Literary Award. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, Elle, Ebony, Electric Literature, Mosaic, Lenny Letter, and Catapult, among others, and is included in the anthologies Well-Read Black Girl, Can We All Be Feminists?, and The Good Immigrant, 26 Writers Reflect on America. Dennis Ben is a lecturer in the creative writing program at Princeton University and co-old visiting faculty in the City College's MFA program. Born and raised in Kingston, Jamaica, Dennis Ben is a graduate of Cornell University and holds a Master of Public Health from the University of Michigan and an MFA in Creative Writing from Sarah Lawrence College. She lives with her wife in Brooklyn, New York. Hi, my name is Nicole Dennis Ben, and the book I'm recommending is The Yellow House by Sarah M. Broom. The Yellow House is Sarah's memoir about growing up in New Orleans. Um, you know, this is in the, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, you know, growing up in her parents' house, the house that was actually there from the beginning, you know, family from family members living inside this house, calling it their own, and also the community around them as well. And then how the city, New Orleans, has evolved since then and how home has actually shifted for this particular narrator. Um, and I find it really fascinating in how she takes us uh, on this journey, you know, in this place she called home that, that's now regarded as a tourist center worldwide. So I really enjoyed reading this book. I got the Yellow House initially when I was in conversation um, with the author herself. You know, it was a galley that I received. I didn't hear about it, the Yellow House prior to that. And so when, once I started reading it, I couldn't stop. I couldn't put it down because I connected to it personally as well, you know, coming from a similar place that's now regarded as a tourist um, attraction, but really a place I, I still call home, just like Sarah calls New Orleans home. The connection was actually made by the persons who wanted to interview both of us uh, as authors who have these stories about places that we call home, but also um, on another personal level, you know, identifying as queer authors, telling these stories. And so it was on that capacity where, you know, we were, you know, being interviewed and I had to read her book. And in reading that book, I realized, wow, you know, we have more in common than, you know, I previously would have thought. And so that was really what captivated me. Friends, you know, who come over, you know, friends who I know they're from New Orleans as well, or, you know, they're, they're looking for memoirs or they're looking for something to read for the summer. That's really, you know, when I'll say, well, you know, there's a book coming out in August that I think you guys would enjoy. And that's really how I start promoting the book. You know, I noticed that a lot of people gravitate towards that and wanting to see this place in a new light. Because, you know, when we think about New Orleans, we think about Mardi Gras. We think about, you know, just the parties and, you know, all these surface things. But really, when I'm reading the story, you know, seeing the history of the place, you know, and seeing how the people um, interact with that place, 
was really fascinating. Because even when I'm writing about Jamaica, the same thing, you know, how people perceive Jamaica as a tourist place, you know, and then getting into the complexities of the people behind that fantasy, you know, that really is something that I like telling and I, I tend to gravitate towards stories like that as well. You think you know a place and then you read actually about that place from somebody who has, who has lived there, who was born and raised there, who have seen that place in a completely different light. And so I think for me, this, the selling point with this book, New Orleans, is that place, that place that, you know, we look to as, you know, the happy-go-lucky Mardi Gras. At least I did. I'm not sure if anybody else. Of course, when Katrina happened, it was that place we looked and, um, you know, look at as, oh my gosh, so tragic, you know, what, what happened. I really craved the perception of those individuals who, yes, they were, who were displaced, but also the ones who remained. And for me to now be getting both this insight from this author in this memoir, who goes back into the history of New Orleans, tracing her family line to current, I, I, I find that refreshing. And I think anybody who appreciates um, New Orleans will appreciate a memoir like this one. I also love that she touches on colorism as well. This is a, a story written by an African-American here. And, you know, I, my stories, you know, are written about Jamaicans, you know, Jamaicans in the country and the diaspora. And we're, at the end of the day, grappling with the same thing. And I just find that really um, interesting to know that, yes, here there's that, the shadism is there as well. You know, there's a conversation about the author's mother, you know, who's lighter skin and how she's, she perceives herself and, and as opposed to women who are darker skin than her. And, you know, reading that chapter alone, I'm like, man, we are definitely not different. And I think what this book accomplishes as any good book is forcing read, like holding a mirror up to readers, you know, showing us that we're all not different. You know, yes, you probably might be writing about a particular culture or a particular race or a particular community, but at the end of the day, we are all connected. And so I think in terms of these universal themes that I'm coming across in the book, I realized that it's a solid book that, that would be a classic, I think. I think at this stage, you know, people are, are here for the honesty. And I think, um, you know, there's definitely an evolution in like, you know, the, the truths that's, that people are craving, you know, especially now in these times when, you know, what's going on in the media and, you know, all everything that's being covered up. I feel like now there's a there's a transformation in our society where we, we want the truths, you know, we want to to see things multi-layered. And so I think now we have, there's more room for these kinds of stories to come out. Unfortunately, we had to wait this long, but, you know, the, um, the door is being cracked. I won't go as far as saying it's like wide, wide open, but it's being cracked. And I'm grateful for that, for sure. The other book that comes to mind is Heavy by Keith Lemon. Um, Lehman, I think I'm mispronouncing his name. Um, so, you know, that's another book that spoke to me as well. You know, here's this coming of age memoir or story, but it's, it's really his memoir, you know, this boy growing up in, in rural Mississippi, you know, being raised by a single mother and, you know, just seeing the struggle, the burdens of growing up black in America. You know, he talks about his body and coming of age into his sexuality, into himself as a black man in this country. That's another narrative that to me was an eye opener personally. Um, not that I didn't know those stories before, but the way how it was written with the, the, the truths and the honesty in, in expressing those um, things that you never see people really express that well. I felt like that was really something to commend, in my opinion.
So this is the unflinching um, reality is like he didn't the push or even the um, wanting to tell these stories in that honest way as, as opposed to covering up or using language to hide true emotions. I really like books that, yes, the language might be there, yes, but just the truths coming out, the brutal honesty behind it. I tend to read books outside of my genre, um, outside of fiction. So I love poetry, for example, and, and memoirs. I don't know why. I just love the voice. I gravitate to a good voice and a good story, you know, regardless of the genre. So, yeah, I find myself reading a lot of memoirs lately. Um, Sarah Broom's um, Data House um, included. And, yeah, it was, it's just me just reading just to read, you know, not for any inspiration or anything. At the end of the day, if I have my writer hat on all the time, I might not read as widely, given that, you know, I'm very specific in what I read while I'm writing. But when I'm not writing, uh, I, I also take that hat off and, you know, try to read as much as possible. So when I'm writing, I really, I, fiction for sure, you know, so Toni Morrison, you know, is my, is my go-to author. Just the way how she gives me permission to like write the complexities of her stories, the language, the poetry in that. I also love having um, with me Elizabeth Strout. As well, she writes about place like none other, no other writer I've ever um, encountered. In terms of how she, you know, for Olive Kittredge, for example, to me was just brilliant. And then, of course, Dora Neale Hurston, the dialect, you know, having permission to use our dialect and seeing other authors like that, like her, who does that really well. You know, so those are the writers I keep around me or the books I keep around me while I'm writing, for sure. That was Nicole Dennis-Ben recommending The Yellow House by Sarah Broom. Her novel, Patsy, is published by LiveWrite and is available wherever books are sold. You can follow her on Twitter at ndennis underscore ben. That's N-D-E-N-N-I-S underscore B-E-N-N. Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. You'll only cross these blades once in a page-turning new tale of revenge strategy and so many lies. Best-selling Red Tower Books is releasing its next year's will read that will capture your imagination and keep you guessing until the end. May Corlin's Five Broken Blades tells an intricate high-stakes tale of five total strangers united in a plot that will test their strength, wits, and courage. Each has their reasons, all have secrets. But while it's easy to portray a stranger, it's not so simple to stab a friend or a lover, okay, in the back. Now these five blades must choose between vengeance and one another. Pick up five broken blades by Mae Corlin for a thrilling, adventurous tale filled with risk, romance, adventure, and oh, so many lies. The relationships in it are complex and nuanced and involve everything from friends to enemies found in biological family and lovers and more. Thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publishers of the smash hit Fourth Wing for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? 
Negative space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic focused. And it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to WW Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Dr. Jen Gunter, MD, is an obstetrician and gynecologist with nearly three decades of experience as a vulvar and vaginal diseases expert. Known as the Gray Ladies Gynecologist, she writes two regular columns for the New York Times called The Cycle and You Asked, and has written for a broad range of outlets including USA Today, Cosmopolitan, Self, The Cut, and many more. An Elle magazine woman to watch, Dr. Jen is the star of a CBC series called Jen-splaining. Her new book, The Vagina Bible, is a factual, fun-filled, and inclusive journey that debunks the myths around vaginal health and will educate and empower readers. My name is Dr. Jen Gunter, and Watership Down is my recommended. Watership Down is about a, a band of ragtag rabbits that leave their warren because there is danger coming and about all the adventures and life lessons they learn on the way before establishing a new warren. I found it in our cottage. We had a summer home uh, in Canada and uh, my mother had bought it, I think, for herself to read. Probably sometime after it came out, she liked to buy books that were on like the most recommended lists and she didn't like it. I couldn't get into it. And so she it was just laying around the cottage and I had probably exhausted all of the Harlequin romances that were around. And so I picked it up. I was probably around nine or 10, maybe 11 at the most, but around that age. I couldn't put it down. I think I probably didn't, you know, go to the beach for two days. I think I probably stayed holed up in, you know, the cottage reading it. And I just, I had, I loved fantasy. And so this combined fantasy, but animals and all kinds of amazing lessons about climate change and friendship and working together. And the stories were just so amazing. And I also loved Greek mythology, and there's also all the tales of, you know, rabbits of yore in there as well. So it, it really hit all my sweet spots. I have reread Watership Down uh, when I've been feeling sad or unhappy, and it's like an old friend, and the characters, they're just so wonderful. They lift me up. A couple of years ago, I, I reread it because I I forced my son to read it. He loves fantasy as well. And uh, he needed to do a book report on something. And I kept badgering him to read Watership Down. And then finally he read it. And then he was like, why didn't you tell me to read this sooner? And I was like, oh. And so, so we actually have many discussions about Watership Down, the two of us. Once I discovered a new author, I, I would look for every book they had written and be on the lookout for new books. And uh, I tried to get through The Plague Dogs, and I couldn't. I, I could not get through the second chapter, second or third chapter, and the same with, um, with Shardik. And so I, I kind of left it at that, and I thought, you know, if the only book that I can read, and maybe other people could have read Richard Adams' other books is Watership Down. I'm totally okay with that because it's the best book I've ever read. I think all the messages 
really do. The friendship and working together and everybody has something to contribute and things are not always what they seem. Certainly the messages about a dictatorship are still very valid, military-style leadership and what that can do, and also climate change. The rabbits had to leave their warren because their climate was going to be changed by by man. I guess the only part of the book that doesn't hold up is, is the lack of female characters. The does are really there as breeders. Uh, you know, that's a little bit disappointing, but you also have to look at the era in which a book was written and... It was a different time, I guess, but that's the only, the only disappointing thing is, is that the female characters really add very little except their ability to have rabbit babies. I knew I wanted to be a doctor pretty early on. I had a pretty big interaction with the healthcare system when I was 11. I ruptured my spleen skateboarding uh, and had a lot of hospitalization related to that. And then as a result of that, they found out I had kidney disease. And so I had to have a kidney removed. It was a summer of being in the hospital a lot and having major surgery and all kinds of invasive testing. And that really actually fascinated me. I just was fascinated by all of it. So that is what I think made me want to become a physician, that initial interaction with the medical system and just being so fascinated by the science of it all. Whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction, you know, you have to have a story that interests people. With nonfiction, the story's true. And with fiction, I guess you hope it touches people in ways that feel true to them. I think the idea about making people interested and wanting to turn the pages would be what I, I think I learned from reading good fiction about trying to help me then write, write better nonfiction. If it's not interesting and it doesn't it doesn't make you say laugh or or feel sad, doesn't give you an emotion, I think that it's just too sterile. And I don't mean playing on emotions in you know cruel ways, but you know you have to draw people in, you have to draw your reader in, you have to have to make it interesting. Oh, I do love fantasy and Greek mythology. I just finished reading Song of Achilles. Oh my gosh. And, and so I have the, I have the next book. I haven't opened that yet, but I have a lot of travel coming up. So I'm, I'm saving that for a long plane ride. Uh, and so, yeah, so Song of Achilles, love that. And I just finished rereading uh, Lord of the Rings because I took my son to New Zealand to see a bunch of the sets from the movies. Uh, and so we wanted to be up on, you know, on all our minutia before we were there. <laughs> In fact, I, I had uh, something sad happen a few months ago and I was, you know, lying on my bed feeling really sad. And he came into my room with um, our old copy of The Hobbit, the beautiful picture book. And he sat down and opened it and started to read to me from The Hobbit. And he read to me every night a chapter from The Hobbit. And that was just amazing medicine. I loved the Chronicles of Narnia and I used to save up my money and take the bus and be like a dime to go downtown. When I first discovered it, I thought, what is this? Oh my gosh, I have to get the next one. And so, you know, I would save up my money and, you know, take the bus and go downtown and buy the next book. And then I didn't know that, you know, C.S. Lewis had died. And so I, when I got the last book and I realized he had died, because I'd never really read the biography part at the end, I think. I was cry. I still remember crying that there were not going to be any more Narnia books. <laughs> I was devastated. 
when people build worlds like that, that you really want to be part of that, I mean, that's, that's something else. And, you know, I think I got that from, you know, Song of Achilles or Watership Down or Lord of the Rings or Narnia. I really, I really felt like I was like in that world. I guess the only thing I would say about Watership Down is don't base whether you should read the book on, you know, on the movies or the Netflix series about it. It's interesting whenever I tweet about Watership Down, because I, I, I'm, I swear to, I swear I'm like the biggest fangirl. <laughs> I'm always telling people, have you, you know, have you read this book? Uh, you people are always struck by the violence in the movie and in the, you know, the Netflix series. And, and I think there's probably been some other screen versions of it too, uh, you know, for TV or whatever. And, you know, there is obviously, you know, violence in it, but not more so than any fantasy novel and probably less in many ways. It's certainly not graphic, right? I have no recollection of sort of you know, real graphic violence. I would say if you're afraid to read it because you think it's graphic violence, it's not. And, you know, I think that it's been changed in many ways to try to be made more commercial, but I don't think you can change something that's perfect. So you should read the book. <laughs> That was Dr. Jen Gunter recommending Watership Down by Richard Adams. Her book, The Vagina Bible, published by Citadel, is available wherever books are sold. You can follow her on Twitter at Dr. Jen Gunter. Later this season, we'll hear from other writers, including Tamsin Moore, Kia Brown, Jen Wang, and Kekla Magoon, so stay tuned. Thanks again to today's sponsor for making Recommended possible. If you like what you're hearing, please do drop by on Apple Podcasts to leave us a rating or a review. We're always happy to see the feedback, and reviews help other bookish listeners to find our show. You can find show notes, including titles mentioned, at bookriot.com recommended, and you can email us feedback, personal favorites, and suggestions at recommended at bookriot.com. 